Broadcasting live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Women's Telehealth, whose mission is to bring scarce, high-risk maternal fetal medicine services to patients and referring obstetricians in their own community, urban or rural. Visit womenstelehealth.com for more information. Now, here are your hosts, Tanya Mack and C.W. Hall. What is up, Tanya Mack? Oh, I am so excited to be here today because I have not only a national subject matter expert on our topic of infertility, but also a very good friend. So I'm happy to have uh, Dr. Dorothy Mitchell-Leaf in the studio with us today. Welcome, Dorothy. Thank you, Tanya. Great to to see you. A subject near and dear to my heart because I actually went through many, many, many thousands of dollars in procedures for infertility work myself and have healthy children to thank for people like you. So personally, it's a subject dear to me, and I'm happy to share your expertise on the radio today about that. Thanks for coming. Now, with your experience, Tanya, did you end up with multiple births, or how did it go for you? No, although I could have because I'm that old that the protocols (laughs) certainly have changed. I got really lucky and got one and quit. (laughs) Yes, so I did did really good, yeah. (laughs) So anyways, basically, we're talking about this topic because it seems as if more women are delaying their childbearing years until after the age of 30 when natural fertility starts to fall off. So it's a growing problem, uh, certainly in this country and in our culture. Technology advances in genetics and fertility techniques and testing have kind of given new tools to help women know their personal fertility status earlier and make plans to help manage their fertility over time for a good outcome. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Mitchell Leaf with us today. She is an expert. She's based here in Atlanta, and she has over 35 years of um, experience in infertility. She's worked at Emory. She's worked uh, all over the Southeast. She has an egg bank. She's board certified OBGYN that uh, also got her fellowship in um, reproductive endocrinology. She has studied at the University of Louisville, has been president of the Medical Association of Georgia. Uh, She has numerous awards, including the Womenetics POW Award, the 2006 Atlanta Business Chronicles Healthcare Heroes Award. Was that their first year, Dorothy? It was really early, wasn't it? I think so, yes. Yeah. And um, the prestigious Hartman Cup Award given periodically to individuals for outstanding contributions to public health. One of my favorite stories about Dorothy is not too long ago, um, she celebrated 30,000 babies. Is that right? 30,000. Not personally. Not you personally. (laughs) But helping to get on the planet. Helping to get on the planet. 30,000 babies in around 30 years. So quite an achievement. So um, thanks for being here again. Thank you for having me. We're actually going to just start on the incidence and prevalence of female infertility. We're talking primarily today about female infertility, kind of what help is available, what's hot in the field, and um, kind of hope. Hopefully, we'll offer some hope to people that are struggling out there. So let's start with female infertility and tell us how big of an issue it is. Well, I think it's it's definitely developed over the years because we've had so many ladies now are educated mm-hmm. and getting educated or working in the uh, or out in the workforce. Unfortunately, the biggest concern has been that a lot of times the media has said, oh, everything's going to be fine. It was worse in the past. I think they've done better today. Mm -hmm. But everyone thought that they can have babies 
through their 40s up to 50. It wasn't a problem, but obviously there's some issues there that weren't really discussed properly. Right. Uh, So we're really trying to get ladies to understand it's better to be proactive. Uh, The best way right now is for younger women, even starting at 27, 28, to get something called an AMH level, anti-mullerian hormone. Can you spell that for us? M-U-L-L. M-U-L-L-E-R-I-A-N. But it's AMH. Mm -hmm. And their OBGYN can do it on their annual uh, visit. And this can actually help them determine a range of where they are as far as how many eggs they have left. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the lower the number, the less eggs you have. And um, so if, you know, for people are on the verge of saying, well, should I wait? Uh, especially those that are 35 and older who do increase their risk of having genetic abnormalities as an issue on top of trying to get pregnant, Mm -hmm. um, that we really are trying to be helping them be proactive if they wish to freeze their eggs. For example, a lot of ladies maybe in uh, law, medicine, or other advanced degrees who say, I'm not going to be able to have children until maybe I'm over 35, Mm -hmm. Then this is, these are the people who might want to freeze their eggs and be able to have those for the future. And we've been doing that for about uh, eight to nine years very successfully. And a lot of patients have been able to come back and have their children mm-hmm. when they wish to. I know it's not just professional, too. I know uh, when I used to work in another OBGYN practice, our first pregnancy average age was about 36. Mm -hmm. So people are just, I think, getting established in life, no matter what their profession, waiting later to decide about a family, get married or whatever, and then maybe are surprised a little more than they expected when they try to get pregnant. The the average age of most infertility practices now is around 38, 39. Okay, so that's even a little more than we were. Mm -hmm. In a general pregnant population, what would be an average percent of infertility for females? Well, I think the worst, just to just get to the heart of the matter, is after around age 38, it's about one in four couples are infertile. Okay, also that's really. I mean, that's really showing. It's it's a it's a definite decrease over right. the age of thirty, and thirty five is starting to be that other point. But the thirty eight and over, mm-hmm. that's the reason why we see so many of them. Now, the AMH age. testing is that for a range. I heard on the lower mm-hmm. end, you know, in your mid to late twenties, you can get tested for your egg status. Mm-hmm. But at, what's the high cutoff that it's? Oh, we just Just do it until you want to know. I mean, we do have those rare people who are in their mid-40s who happen to have a lot of eggs, but they were born with as many as you're ever going to have, so there's no way to change 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 it, no medication, nothing. So it's what it is, and that's the unfortunate part. And just for frame of reference, is this a hugely expensive test for somebody? No, it's about $80. Wow. And a lot of times, if their OBGYN does it, they will actually um, have it paid for. And we seem to have a lot of those that are able to be covered. So all you ladies out there, don't guess. (laughs) Don't come to Dorothy and her friends when you you don't have eggs left. Know early and plan accordingly. I think that's your main message there. Yeah, because you do have options to freeze eggs. So you don't want to give that option up if you have a low number. Right. So let's move along and talk a little bit about factors affecting infertility. So age, weight, Uh, what's the Well, age we've already talked about, about yes. Actually, their weight can be a big issue. Um, A lot of patients with polycystic ovarian disease who do happen to have a very high AMH level, Mm -hmm. actually, 
But because of the fact that they're a lot of times have to deal with being overweight, that we really try and get them to lose weight. And many times they'll be able to get pregnant on their own. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they do need to be very um, careful about it. And I know a lot of them say, well, my friend weighs more than I do. And she got pregnant. Well, everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Every couple's different. Mm -hmm. So they have to take that under advisement. But we really work hard to get patients to lose weight because it is healthier for them. Mm -hmm. And they will have less risk of all the other... Uh, OB problems like hypertension and preeclampsia. Now, there are also problems with women who don't weigh a lot. Mm -hmm. And we do have them encouraged to eat more and Mm -hmm. to gain some weight Mm -hmm. because they really need um, to get to a normal weight to be able to achieve a pregnancy as well. Mm -hmm. So there are those dynamics that become an issue. Um, Obviously, the environment, there's a lot of concerns about water bottles and all those kind of things. And a lot of times it actually, <coughs> excuse me, is an issue for men mm-hmm. as well. So we we really recommend people trying to be careful about all the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's very concerning mm-hmm. as well. So it seems like there's a lot of factors that weigh into it. You kind of have Many to play factors. detective right. when a patient presents. You know, medications they're on, yeah. um, you know, even sometimes where they've lived, been exposed. I had two patients who actually were exposed to Three Mile Island years ago and had significant genetic problems. Mm-hmm. And we never thought of it until the husband said, gee. We used um, to live. She lived there when she was a teenager and ha- when it happened. So those are the kind of things we just ask about and, and find very informative. Okay. So aside from their medical history, when they present to an infertility specialist, Mm -hmm. what kinds of tests do you guys do for female infertility? Well, the first part is to obviously get the AMH, but uh, to get a hysterosalpingogram, it's a dye test. It helps know if your uterus is normal or your tubes open. Perhaps you have fibroids that might be impinging on the uterus on the inside. So that's a very, very important test. And also about 30% of patients may get pregnant on their own if there's nothing else wrong because you're just essentially putting the fluid in and maybe it just um, helps um, clear out and clear out the tubes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, the husband gets a semen analysis. Mm -hmm. They get a a great deal of labs just to uh, see where they are as far as thyroid, prolactin. Uh, We also check for all the patients for hepatitis, all the other uh, diseases we want to make sure that um, like prior infections and everything mm-hmm. uh, before they do that and then we sit down and and talk to them if they have a problem with their hysterosalpingogram they may get a sonohistogram to evaluate whether or not it's polyps or fibroids that are pushing on the endometrial cavities so those are very very important how long does an average infertility workup take is it one visit many visits many visits over a month about a month about a lot of blood work um if they have some genetic issues Mm -hmm. in their family we definitely want to encourage everybody if possible to get some especially those with the ashkenazi jewish heritage Mm -hmm. We do recommend getting a full genetic evaluation if possible at least on one of them Mm -hmm. And then if any of those tests come out positive, then we'll get the the other partner. Mm-hmm. So it's kind well. of like a jigsaw puzzle. You are looking at a lot of puzzle pieces and trying to put a story together. And then you'll sit down with the couple. Right. Go through the results of what you found. 
Correct. And then together with them kind of make recommendations. Right. And they can do ovulation tests, obviously, and, and mm-hmm. see. Uh, but those they, they've usually done before they showed up. Mm-hmm. But we ask them for those in, that pieces of information, those pieces of mm-hmm. information as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think motivation to have a baby, they're probably very cooperative and absolutely um, get you all the records and everything that they need from your pickup point. Yes. All right. So let's talk a little bit about um, if you go do the entire workup and you once you find a problem, and I know it's specific to the male or female infertility, the types of problems, what are some treatment options that you currently consider across the board? Well, the simplest one is if you don't ovulate. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually you start with clomiphene with inseminations. um, And that's probably the simplest, most basic test we can, unless they perhaps might have thyroid issues or prolactin issues that can be treated. And mm-hmm. usually we watch and see what's going on. And then if that doesn't work, we'll go on to some uh, something else. Mm-hmm. Medication be mm-hmm. first. Then right. there's something called gonadotropins that are injectable drugs that we can do, but we've tended to back off on those these days because of hyperstimulation. Uh, and we don't want everybody having but one baby mm-hmm. if possible. That was my experience. <clears throat> yeah, so. so Pergonol, old Pergonol days. Pergonol, yeah, yep. we don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Because I really got lucky there. Yeah. But um, <laughs> if that doesn't work, perhaps if the husband has a problem, we'll refer him to a male infertility specialist mm-hmm. so that they can take care of the patient mm-hmm. and see if there's anything else they need. Mm-hmm. If, if you find anything that needs surgery, they may have endometriosis, fibroids, polyps, all kinds of tumors, different things. We usually get that done immediately as soon as we see that on the. And uh, is that usually referred out? Or, or no, we already does it. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And then what about some of the more advanced procedures like in vitro that we hear about? If you go through and try meds, that doesn't work. You didn't have surgery or you hadn't worked. Then what are we left with in terms of the advanced treatments? I guess I would say. Well, in vitro obviously is is the um, main source but in in under that uh first of all the woman gets medication to have injections every day that she has to self-administer at least Mm -hmm. it's not the old way Mm -hmm. much easier they get evaluated by ultrasound and blood work every day and it takes about 10 to 12 days at the end of that they get an injection called HCG, and it matures the eggs for two days. Then we do a surgery that is an egg retrieval under IV sedation. They get their eggs removed. The husband gives us a specimen. If he has some other obstruction issue, they might have to aspirate the sperm from him. Mm -hmm. And then the uh, lab takes over, and they do um, ICSI, which is one sperm in each egg if needed. And they grow the embryos to day five. At that point, there are some very nice things that we can do today that were not as available five to six years ago. One is that if the women are older or they have some other genetic issues or are concerned, we can actually biopsy the embryo, freeze the embryo, then send the information away. And within, they're getting shorter at it, but probably in a week, we will know which embryos are normal. As far as the genetic material. And all 23 chromosomes are evaluated. About how many tests can you screen that? I mean, how many different? Well, first of all, you do it for ages, 23 chromosomes, just to check to see if they're normal. Chromosome abnormalities. Then if they came to us because maybe both of them had a cystic fibrosis gene or they had some other, the Jewish Mm -hmm. um, spectrum Mm -hmm. that could possibly Mm -hmm. be there. 
they can do that specific test as well. Okay. So the the beauty of that is we can also check all the tw- the 23 chromosomes so it's very complete. Mm-hmm. It only has about a 5% risk rate of not being correct. So 95% accuracy rate is excellent. About how many people are electing to have this further diagnostic test. Well, with pe- people who have had multiple pregnancy right. loss, that tends to be high priority, really high priority. priority. For those who are older and would like to know at age 35 and over, mm-hmm. or if they've had multiple pregnancies even after age 30, mm-hmm. that's another reason mm-hmm. for doing it. So we've seen a lot more patients doing it, especially ones that don't have a lot of embryos mm-hmm. and they don't want to just put one back Mm -hmm. and say, oh my goodness. So they might do one or two, three cycles, Mm -hmm. find out which ones are normal and be able to feel good that they are putting back the ones that are, and just put one back. Mm -hmm. And the pregnancy rate is excellent. And uh, they don't feel like they're pushing themselves, especially some of the ladies are over 40. Uh, We'd like them not to have twins when, and we'd really like everybody not to have Mm -hmm. them. Uh, so our, our t- triple rate has is, is gone way down. Well, yeah, I, right, right, right. You know, last five years, I don't think I had one triplet. Right. So uh, we've come a long way in that direction, but it gives patients a lot of different options. It gives them opportunities to knowing more about accuracy and uh, feeling better about just replacing one embryo and not saying, oh, yeah, put two in, hope one, only one makes it, but one might split. I mean, we've had that happen and they they might split. So while we're on the subject of egg retrieval and egg storage and testing, can you talk a little bit more about egg storage? Like how long are these eggs good? Is it variable? You know, what are some specifics about egg storage? You know, we, we really, we've only been doing it for the most part, for about the last eight to nine years. So mm-hmm. it's a little hard to say. Because it's done with vitrification, which is a fast freeze, the thaw rate is excellent, and the patients have a very good outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually it's one out of um, every six, of, out of six eggs, you're going to get at least one embryo. So that's that's good. And most of these ladies are young and have a lot of eggs, and we want to make sure that they put enough away at the time. If perhaps they get married early, you say, go on and get pregnant on your own and use these as a backup system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, that's it's not an absolute, but it, it is always done very well. We try to screen the patients, obviously, before we do that. And then what's the process if I had my eggs stored, and now I'm five years forward and I'm ready to use them and I've tried on my own. What is, is that? The, what is the process to unfreeze them and go through um, a cycle? You just get evaluated just with the history of updated labs. Okay. Everything has to be updated. So they're ready. They're ready to go. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is take medication to prepare the uterus okay. for about four weeks. And then the day that uh, they're ready, they'll thaw out the eggs. The sperm will be placed with the eggs. And five days later, the embryo would be transferred, and the rest of the embryos would be frozen. So about a cycle, just like about a regular cycle. They just don't have to come in much. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that's encouraging. Technology certainly has advanced. While we're on the topic of um, infertility and eggs, I want to touch a little bit on egg donors. It Mm -hmm. seemed like working in OBGYN myself and with the ladies, once they're pregnant, um, and especially since we haven't had AMH testing for very long, (laughs) 
Um, one option has been egg donors. Are you still looking for, is that still a hard to find kind of thing? No, we've, we've done very well okay, with doing so that. What's we advertise these ladies are between 21 and 28 is okay. who we're looking for. But they have to be very well screened. Mm -hmm. They have to have a psychologist beside the fact they got to have a good AMH, mm -hmm. be the age we ask for. Uh, they have to meet all the requirements. The doctors have to meet them. We have to have everything perfect in order to go through being an egg donor. They're anonymous. They do not know who their eggs are donated to, and the patient doesn't know who the donor was. But they're matched according to essentially what they look like mm -hmm. as much as possible. Mm -hmm. From the history that you... Well, we have pictures and try match them. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Is that something that the reproductive endocrinology team does? Oh, yes. Okay, yes. All right. So that seems like so much has changed in terms of what can be done. Absolutely. Okay. And, and they actually allow egg donation to the age of 55 now. I have to say I've only had... That sounds kind of scary. Well, they have to be very. I'm sure well. the screening is the same. Oh, but they have to see the parent. They have to see the perinatologist. They have to be cleared to make sure they are healthy. Healthy, and um, we recommend recommend most of the time they only put one back in all of these patients, especially over 45. Uh, I know some. So of is them there a top cutoff point for 55. you? 55. I've only wow. I've only had patient. I think she was 51. But I haven't had anybody that much. Maybe she was 50. She was turning 52. But they have to be extremely healthy. We want to make sure. Or we say, you might need a surrogate. Mm -hmm. You really might need to think about it because we don't want to put you in harm's way, especially you've already had a child. We'd like to make sure that, this, um, that you're there and healthy and nothing else might go wrong as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So um, since you, I heard the word surrogate pop out of your mouth and we watched late night yeah. TV with Jimmy Fallon, who's <laughs> been a big proponent of uh, all of us yeah. becoming aware of that option. Talk a little bit about surrogacy and what is the line that you, way. yeah, tell me a little bit about that and what's the line at which you just tell the couple this is a viable option yeah. for you. I'm sure uh, that's difficult. I started, I did the first two in the state of Georgia mm -hmm. starting in 1991. It was an experience because um, even the paper wouldn't let them advertise mm -hmm. for a surrogate. So we've come a very long mm -hmm. way. In today's world, um, you can find them on the internet. Uh, some of the attorneys actually have gone and, and found uh, surrogates and they look for them. And they are very essential uh, for those patients who may have had a hysterectomy, mm -hmm. who have had so much surgery on their uterus, it's just not a place that's going to work for implantation. Mm -hmm. uh, or they're so medically uh, compromised, maybe with diabetes or some other illness that would not allow them to carry a pregnancy successfully. Mm -hmm. So the surrogates have been done very well. They, again get evaluated by the psychologist. They have to have all the lab testing. They have to be in great shape. And most of the time we tell them they have to have had a child at least. Okay. With no complications. They cannot have had any issues. So uh, two would be nice, but at least if you had one. Is it and, physically the same kind of medical screening as for egg donors? Yes. Okay, so a lot of similar criteria. Well, yeah, pretty much. But they have to also make sure child their uteruses. Right. Childbearing, absolutely, and they cannot have any problems. So they then have to meet with the attorneys and have 
counseling with the attorneys, sign contracts, all kinds of things. So it's very complicated. Sounds like you have to be part lawyer. Well, to- <laughs> well you want to make sure everything's done. You, you, you explain to them, and I tend to do this. I said, this is who you need to look for. These, you know, try not to make them west of the Mississippi because that's a long way to go to Texas and stay for the next, you know, however many weeks, weeks you might yeah. hang out when your child's getting ready, ready to be born. born. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to like the person and you have to feel comfortable with them because we've seen issues where things didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And I've, I felt very good about the fact that we really counsel the patient before they go talking about surrogates, who to look for. Who are the best ones? And I I was a stickler, I know, about who I was going to allow because there's a lot on the line there. Mm-hmm. The patient's embryo, their you know, psychological state, Not everything. An easy path, for sure. And you want to make sure it's all an excellent match mm-hmm. and everything's fine. And they do very well. And a lot of them become attached. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one time a lady, um, I think they came to the 30,000 baby party and said, She's my belly sister of the baby that mm-hmm. was born that the mom carried for the other couple. Mm-hmm. And they many of them stay in great contact and and do very well. So I think it's been I've heard of some of them say they think it's actually their gift. Like that is a the gift that they can do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They feel like very this passionate is something about it. that they can do very well and mm-hmm. they're very happy to be able mm-hmm. to pass it on and and do it for other people. Mm-hmm. So and I think patient, you know, it's kind of the last thing patients want to hear, mm-hmm. but you have to be honest with them and say, it's time. And many times we've had to say that. And I said, I know it's not what you want to hear, hear mm-hmm. but I think this is what you need to do so you can have, it, it's still your child. Mm-hmm. And I understand that, but we're going to get the best person for you and everybody's going to agree and then it'll all be okay. And that it always, it does very well and mm-hmm. it works out, but mm-hmm. It's a long journey. Yeah. I know that is such a personal business that you do, counseling couples, going through this testing. It is many cycles sometimes and sometimes just one. How do you, at what point would a reproductive endocrinologist turn over the the preg- pregnant patient? Like, do you follow them for a Just till 10 weeks. 10 weeks. 10 weeks. Okay. And then yeah, we make sure everything's OB. fine. That way we've taken them off the drugs. They don't have to worry about telling somebody what to do. And that's much easier that way. Okay. All right. And I'm sure they cart them back around to see you. Oh, yeah. All that pictures. I got to get, I think I've got five this week. It was fun. It's fun. That's fun. That's good news. I know there's another topic you're pretty passionate about. We've talked about it off the air several times, and that is recurrent pregnancy Mm -hmm. loss. So let's talk a little bit about that. That happens to a lot of people. It really does. And Sometimes, you know, the patients are told by either family members or others that it'll all work out and just keep trying and it'll all be fine. And I, it was interesting. I had a photograph from a lady who had come and she had had six losses by the time I saw her. We were able to just, uh, actually, we did genetics and things like that and it all worked out. It's, it's after about one or two, it's time to really see and get things done. Is it your uterus? Do you have a wall down the middle of your uterus? Do you have an abnormality? Do you so have hunting for the reason? Do you have a, a reason where you might have clotting factors? And that has really become a, a big, big thing that we've been able to test for and done very well. And they can get pregnant on their own. All we have to do is just give them some um, heparin or Lovenox and mm-hmm. it works very well. Mm-hmm. So 
it's not worth them struggling for so many years and kind of beating themselves up over it. Mm -hmm. Come in, just have a chat. Mm -hmm. We might find something very simple we can fix Mm -hmm. and not continue to wait and hope it all happens for you. Mm -hmm. Because we've been able to be very successful with this and we really, you know, they're so stressed by the time they show up at even three. Mm -hmm. And I think they blame themselves. They don't want to even tell their family because they're afraid of what they'll say. So I I think this is the one group I'd really, even after one, if you're older and, you know, if you're... Time's running out. Don't don't, waste time. Don't waste time because you, you, then every year I'm going to have to have, every time you miscarry, that's 12 weeks. Then you got to wait another month or two. Right. We're at six months. Right. Another year's gone by. So we need to have them show up and just just ask questions. We may not have all the answers right away or you may not want to do it, but at least get some basic tests done mm-hmm. that will help and and maybe you'll have the baby without too much to do and, yeah. and it'll be there for you. So the main message on recurring pregnancy losses, do not <laughs> wait past a cycle or two. Or, or a, a pregnancy loss, loss. yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, okay. I, even after one, anybody under my care, I used mm-hmm. to just, Say, let's, think, let's start looking. Do not let's not let's just hang out. We've got to get the test done. Yeah, we got to see what's going on. Yeah, especially when we're all starting later too. So you know, <laughs> never know. If you want baby number two, you would like to move that's on. Right. Yes, yeah, that's right. Depends on what kind of baby pops out. Probably when you're going to go for number two. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's talk a little bit about. Is there any kind of preparation? Women that are trying to conceive. We just talked about. One of the main messages, don't wait, don't wait, don't wait. What would you give for the woman that's just trying to conceive on her own? How many cycles, how much time, what they can do uh, before they get intervention? Um, Always take prenatal vitamins. We'd like everybody to be on it three months before. And now we're also telling people folic acid, 400 milligrams, and vitamin D. So if you're starting, at least go buy those. You can buy those in the the drugstore Mm -hmm. by yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. And While you're there, get an ovulation predictor kit so you can figure out when you ovulate. And that will be helpful. We just tell people, uh, obviously, if you've had an IED in, please make sure you head it out. What We've length of that, time? Oh, like usually about three, two, 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 two to three cycles. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I mean, some people didn't pay attention and oh, it was still in. forgot it was yes. there. Wow. <clears throat> so, I mean, those are kind of things. Just being healthy, uh, having a good weight. Mm-hmm taking your vitamins, eating well, being, you can exercise, just don't over-exercise. That's Mm -hmm. another thing we didn't talk about, but people who do marathons, that's not going to help. You got to stop marathoning Mm -hmm. because that's not your endorphins and all those are going to decrease your ovulation. That's not going to work. So yeah, hormones greatly affect. Yes. (laughs) Yes. They're greatly affected by it. So art to that, not just a science to that. Yes. Hormone prep. Yes. Yeah. So those are the kind of things they could just get ready for, making sure the guys, you know, are healthy as well. Mm-hmm. And um, they should never take testosterone. That's just an odd thing. But testosterone will decrease your sperm count. Mm. And women shouldn't be around That's a hot the guys. topic for men, the, too. Yeah, and, yeah, right and the guys now. shouldn't be around the women if they're using all the ones that are on their skin and mm-hmm. everything. That, that can affect the the ladies mm-hmm. so we're asking everybody to make sure they don't take testosterone it actually will diminish your sperm count okay very good good tips let's talk a little bit about um what's kind of coming in your field <clears throat> like we've talked about so many changes 
just in the last five years, the last eight years, certainly from when I saw an infertility specialist, things are so different. Is there something that you're excited about that you see that's coming or something that looks promising? I, I think the maybe what'll come, but it's not quite there yet, is to be able to um, do the biopsy on the embryos and be able to try, be able to get a turnaround that's fast enough to put them right back. Wow. But I don't know where that is right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. But I think that's where, you know, we've done so well with the genetics. And I think that's mm -hmm. really been the cornerstone of changing things in the last five years. Pregnancy loss patients, just age patients who don't have, have unknown reasons for not getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. So I think genetics tends to be the one place that implantation is such a difficult thing. If we could only go up and interview the embryo and say, why didn't you, why didn't <laughs> yeah. you stick? Interesting thought. Yeah. Um, everything looks so good. <laughs> I think that's another thing. I remember when I was going back through my cycles, you think everything looks great. There should be no reason. Then you have a uh, you know, no pregnant right. that month and then you start all over again and there's no rhyme or reason to it. So it is frustrating for people. But implantation is that last frontier. I know the mm -hmm. genetics we're working on, but the that implantation w is something that still boggles all of us because mm -hmm. you sit there and say, we did everything. Everything looked good. Their uterus has been checked three times. We've mm -hmm. done a hysteroscopy. Looked We've great. looked yeah. in there. The embryos are nice. What's going on? And that's, when we've ended up having to go to surrogacy, but there may be things that they can test or implement that I think will be the, the future. Okay, great. Well, that's certainly exciting. We, we all will have be having children for many, many, many moons to come, hopefully. So all the advancements are quite unique and interesting. Yes. So your field is quite magical at times. I'm sure you feel the same way. <laughs> yes. I want to talk just closely as we end I always think people remember stories and I want to end not on a message of go get a lot of testing, do, 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 but just to make it worth it. Can you just share a couple of stories that just seem like it never was going to happen? It was impossible. What was the road? And, and let's leave our couples with some hope before we sign off. Well, I, uh, I gave a comment about the lady who just wrote me a beautiful uh, email about the fact that she had had six losses and now had her seventh. And she used a special Hebrew uh, word for naming her child. Mm -hmm. And that will be forever etched in their memory. Mm -hmm. I think that I've had so many patients who had pregnancy losses. Th those really get you or mm -hmm. failed IVF that you finally got it for them. Mm -hmm. Whether it's patients who tried on their own and kept miscarrying and then had a surrogate. Now they have two or three kids. That's just marvelous. Patients that were, we found some highly unusual thing where their thyroid had to be changed every third day to get it not to go crazy and have hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've had patients from out of the country, um, that have surrogates, they're from another country and they have a surrogate here in the United States and they only had two eggs. And, and there's this one that just happened. I did her egg retrieval and it took seven times to flush to get one egg. And there were supposed to be five in there. Mm -hmm. One. One embryo, one baby. And she just wrote me back and said that she got pregnant on her own. And that was amazing and wonderful and i said that's very special so 
there are so many of them, it's hard to kind of put them all into well, a 30,000 babies you help participate in. Uh, I, you know, not, I, them up. I only did nine, nine or 9,000 mm-hmm. of mine. But, um, you know, so uh, there are just so many and they're all special. Mm-hmm. Um, and they write such wonderful little stories that, you know, afterwards, but we've worked, not many people just walk in and get pregnant the next month. Right. So they've all been people that are part of our lives. And I think I've had, I was looking at all my boxes of pictures. I've got like 10 boxes of pictures. They don't send pictures anymore. So I am, <laughs> those are on email. Now they're digital. Yeah. Now they're digital. But I like those pictures when I was able to see them. But, but I think that everyone is very special. Nobody's alike. You can't say, oh, the next, the last five were all the same. Every single patient is different and unique. And I think that's what makes it so special when you've been able to get mm-hmm. everything together, that puzzle you were talking about, mm-hmm. to get those babies for everyone. Yeah, I think that's one of the unique parts of your specialty is mm-hmm. that there is no one path. No. There are many paths. There are many pieces to the puzzle. And you truly that's have right. to be the medical detective yes. um, to try to solve a mystery and get that that outcome that is so special to people and i think you know and the patients appreciate it they they know we've all been struggling together and you sit there having those conferences with them and you know saying we've got to figure out this out we got to do more and then when you do that i I would say in this time probably only about two to three percent of patients who come to see us don't get pregnant wow well because we now have so many options yeah whether it's surrogate or i wouldn't have guessed that high anyway though because you have the surrogate, you have the egg donor, right. you have all those things that we never could do before. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, that's the, you know, it used to be about 10 to 15%. Mm-hmm. So, so ladies, the, the statistics are greatly increased in your favor. And I guess the overwhelming message is there's people like Dorothy out here working. Don't delay. So don't us delay. all starting out much later, don't delay, investigate the technology um, at, mm-hmm. the, at those rates of a lot of hope. Yes. Yep. So Absolutely. thanks for being with us today, Dorothy. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you. Your body of work is just amazing. Um, and we appreciate your expertise today. Thank you. All right. You. Great to see you. I can relate to your story there. My my daughter's mother lost two pregnancies mm. before we had our daughter, and who's now 13. So seeing how hard it was for her to go through that just with those two losses. And of course, that was 14 and 15 years ago. So things have changed a whole lot. I Mm -hmm. I think that it's great advice to be able to share with a a woman that if you do lose one, uh, go get something checked out because nowadays it sounds like there's some technology that Mm -hmm. could really help them out. So it's great information. Don't waste time because again, the older you are, the longer, if you get that baby, then it's going to take even, you're going to be that much older the next time. And so you don't want to pass that up. I know CW always say when we close, if this material helps you in some way, share the material. But I, I mean, there's hardly anyone that I know that doesn't experience something like this or know someone that is going through these fertility issues. So I was surprised definitely to learn a back show then. to pass around. That's right. How many people that we knew, because when, when she was dealing with the emotional 
loss, um, several of, of our friends that I, w- I was mm-hmm. surprised to know that they had had multiple losses. So it's very common. We do hope you turn around and share this information. If you've not done so already, go to the upper left-hand corner of the show page. You'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the iTunes store where the Top Docs Radio Show podcast lives and subscribe to us. And that way, each week when the new episode comes out, it'll be downloaded straight to your device, ready for you to listen to when it's convenient for you. And as Tanya was saying, we hope you turn around and share this information. I guarantee you, you know somebody who has experienced the loss of a pregnancy. And as uh, Dr. Mitchell Leaf was talking about, there's a lot of options now. And, and, and some of them aren't as extensive as you might think that would right. potentially be able to help you successfully have that child that you're, that you're hoping to have. So Yeah, I know a lot of people do get concerned about the money. And I know it's very expensive. A lot of insurance doesn't pay for it. But sometimes... It's very simple. It's the littlest thing. And we try to always tell patients about how much it costs or what it's going to be. And I think I hate to have people not show up because they're too afraid of what it might cost them. When they don't even know the answer to the puzzle yet. Yep. Yeah, it's worth just one consult to see. It's great having you here in the studio, and it's awesome having Tanya and Women's Telehealth as partners in the show, uh, bringing some fantastic guests and great information in to uh, help the folks in the community uh, learn something that could help them. And we appreciate everybody making us a part of your day today. We'll catch you all. Sign off. See you in a couple weeks. All right. Thanks. Bye bye. Thank you. 